God, just uh, thank you for the chance to just get together and just look at a, a different perspective uh, and a different part of the Christmas story that maybe we've ever really looked at it and, and focused on. And may we just be encouraged uh, by the life of this woman and may we try to, to live like she did uh, just so we can look a little bit more like you and uh, just be closer to you each and every day. Shame I pray. Amen. All right, so tonight we're, our lesson is called Anna's Worship. This is a story that we probably have read and have seen over and over again, but probably not something we've studied and looked a lot you know, deep into. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, have, you, have you guys ever noticed that when somebody has a crush on a person, that they talk about them a lot? Like they, it's like everything that they say or any story that they tell has a way of kind of wandering back towards the object of their affection. It's something that's always happening. Or maybe somebody is obsessed with someone or something like a, like a sport and like the Cubs or a team or a new band or this great new online shop that popped up with the best clothes or a new TV show or movie. And they cannot just they can they cannot tell you enough about their new discovery of whatever it may be. You know, I, I wish I felt the same pull to talk to you about my faith in God than I that I feel about telling you where I think the best tacos are in town. When we adore something, we feel the almost compulsive need to, to share about it, right? And you want to know about it because you're passionate about it, right? When we talk about worship, what are, what are some words, what are some things that come into your mind when we talk about worship? Singing. Singing. What else? Music. Praying. What? Praying. Reading the, Reading the Bible. Jesus. It's a nice Sunday school answer. I love it. What else? What are some words when you think of the word worship that come to mind? Worshiping. Worshiping. Look at you adding letters to the word. Of the... It's God. nice. God. Yeah. She already said, you can't, you can't say it again. You can't say it again. But most of the time, let's be honest, right? It was the first answer, first word mentioned. Like one of the main things we think of is music, right? That's typically what we think of when we hear Worship. We associate worship with, with music. And in reality, worship is expressing adoration and love for God. It's showing God what He's worth. That's where the word worship comes from. It's showing God what He is worth. We love God way more than a band or where we think the best tacos are in town. Because worship, it's a way of communicating that adoration to Him and for Him. Because adoration and worship, they can happen in countless ways besides just singing with our voices. Sometimes the word worship is hijacked by its connection to a song. You know, we say praise and worship. That's what we're thinking of singing. You can, yes, worship through a song, but there are seriously countless other ways that you can worship God. And so there's one part of the Christmas story that will sneak just right by you unless you're paying attention. It's, just, it's the story of a lady named Anna. So if you have your Bible, Luke... Chapter 2, 36 through 30. Luke 2, 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Now the people of Asher 
is one of the lost tribes of Israel. If you guys know the story uh, of the nation of Israel, how many tribes are in the nation of Israel? Twelve. And then after King Solomon died, they split. You know how many? Not quite, not quite. Ten. Ten went to the northern Israel kingdom, and then two, Benjamin and Judah, stayed in Jerusalem, Judah area. And so you had ten and two. The tribe of the, the tribe of Asher was one of the ten northern kingdoms. We call them lost kingdoms. We don't know what happened to these kingdoms. We know what happened with with um, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and like whenever they went to Babylon. Whenever King Nebuchadnezzar came, overtook Jerusalem, and took him back to Babylon, the most of the people that went there were were people from the tribe of Judah. And so, what name do you think he gave them? Tribe of Judah. Jews. That's where we get the word Jews from. It's from the tribe of Judah. And so, that's when they were kind of begun to be called Jews when they went back where they they got taken captive into Babylon. So you have the tribe of Asher. We don't know what happened to it. We don't know where they're, they're at. You can kind of trace their lineage, but they, they're one of the lost tribes. And they've always, like, um, in, in rabbinical texts and things, it says that the tribe of Asher was, a, the women of the tribe of Asher were just extremely beautiful and they're hard to find people as beautiful as a tribe of Asher women. So you have this woman named Anna. She's from this tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow... Until she was 84. The Greek reading of this probably is better stated and understood and not as she lived to be 84, but she was, 80, she was a, a widow for 84 years. So this lady's old. It says, She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, so here we meet Anna. She's a prophetess, is what it says. There were women prophets in the Old Testament, just, of course, not as many uh, men, but there's, there's several in, in the Old Testament. And the phrase prophetess here that's being used refers not to one who, like, speaks in, in visions and revelations, that kind of stuff, but it's one who, who teaches the Old Testament, the Tanakh, our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So she knew this stuff. This is what she did. She taught people our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We've read that Anna had been married for seven years before her husband died. And again, back in this time, ladies, they would get married really young, some between ages of 13 and 15. Hey, y'all are married. That's right. That's y'all's age. That'd be crazy. We don't know how old Anna was when she married, but she had been 14. That would mean that her husband had died when she was 21, and then she had been widowed since her age of 21. Regardless of her age when she was married, she was now either 84 or been a widow for 84. Regardless, that's a long, stinking time that she'd been alone, right? And being single in this time, especially being a single woman, was not just not great for them. We don't know why Anna never remarried, but we can assume that she had a challenging life alone because women, they didn't have much of an opportunity her personal independence in that day. But what we may view as a challenge, it appears that Anna viewed it as an opportunity for her life. 
So we're going to read part of verse 37 again. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she spent her time in the temple fasting and praying. This was how she worshiped God. We have those same spiritual disciplines available to you and I today. <clears throat> so we're going to dig it just a little bit deeper and see how fasting and prayer are ways that we can worship God. So the first one is fasting. A lot of times people fast typically at the time of Lent. Do you guys know what Lent is? L-E-N-T. Not like L-I-N-T. But when is Lent? Well, I mean, it's Catholic. They, they do it, yes. But other people, other denominations do it as well. Easter. That is not Christmas to Easter. But New Year's. New Year's to Easter. It's, it's like Forty days. Forty days. Yeah, we're gonna go with that. But yeah, forty days leading up to Easter, and and during Lent, many people give up something as a reminder of all that Jesus sacrificed for us. That that's in essence what fasting is. It's giving up something for a time to help you focus on God. During my junior year of high school, um, I played basketball. I, it doesn't look like it, but I, I did. I promise. I put on a shooting clinic last week at Abel between lunches. I did really good, but nobody saw it, but like one other youth pastor. But it's fine. No, last week. No, I didn't like it. I didn't want good last year. Um, anyways, so we played basketball. If you play basketball, you know how bad the locker room can, can get. It can get pretty funky. And so me and me and a buddy, we decided for Lent. I don't understand. We're we were dumb. I mean, we still are. We decided to give up socks for Lent for forty days. We didn't wear socks. Exactly, it's disgusting. We had nasty blisters. Our feet hurt. Not to mention just how bad. Because we're idiots, man. Why do we do? Why do high school guys do anything? Yes. We're stupid. Anyways, I don't think there was a Lenten season before or since when I was more constantly thinking about God than when my feet hurt for 40 straight days. Normally when we talk about fasting and when the Bible refers to fasting, we're referring to giving up food for a set period of time. That's typically what is talked about when we look at fasting. Whenever we would normally eat, we instead focus that time on connecting with God. Fasting is not a weight loss program. It's not what you do. Hey, I'm going to lose some weight. Let me fast. That's not what fasting is. It's a chance for you guys to connect on a deeper relationship and level with God than maybe you have before. So back in high school, uh, when I was a little bit smarter, um, I was part of our student leadership team in our youth group, and we would be encouraged to fast before big events like Disciple Now or Youth Camp and those kinds of things. He would ask us on the student leadership team, hey, from like Thursday night, like that's like that's your last meal. Thursday night. Like this is thinking of like this apple now, when it starts on Friday. Thursday night, your last meal. Um, so you don't eat anything until Friday night when we come together for that first meal together as part of our D now. So we would fast, so we would take time. Like so at school on Friday, you know, you'd have to kind of get away and 
like find a classroom and like go be with God and, and pray and that kind of stuff. And so you'd fast, you'd give up two meals, about a 24-hour period, just so maybe we have a chance to hear from God a little bit different and, and chances to draw near to Him during that time. So maybe before our next big event, maybe think of doing the same thing. But many people in the Bible, they fasted for different reasons. Of course, we know the story of Jesus fasting in the wilderness, right? For 40 days as he kind of prepared for his earthly ministry. Nehemiah, he fasted in his grief. Jonah fasted in repentance. Paul fasted to seek wisdom. But, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons to fast. And a lot of times it's associated with sadness, as we see um, here in, in Luke 9. Um, and, and also fasting with 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 prayer in, in Luke 17, or with charity, Isaiah 58. And then the people would fast to seek the Lord's will in Acts 13 and Acts 14. You know, I, I've served in several different churches throughout Texas, and, bef you know, before I kind of, you know, before I take a job or before I leave a job, I'd, I'd spend time fasting to see, God, is this what I need to be doing? It's, it's something that we can try to fill or figure out the Lord's will. But fasting from food, it's it's challenging. Sometimes, how many of you guys, how many of us just eat out of habit? Like, you know, often we don't even think about eating. Yeah, I like, yeah, I eat out of habit. I, we like to eat. We just walk in the door, maybe we stop by, we're walking by the fridge, walking by the pantry, whatever you have in your house, and you're like, no, I want to see what is in there, because I'm, surely it's changed from the last time I looked 12 minutes ago, right? Something new is in the fridge, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. And so, we just eat out of habit. You know, this is just part of our routine, and that, that's one of the reasons that fasting is challenging. It's out of, out of our ordinary. It breaks the daily routine. It forces our hand to stop focusing on, on feeding our body, and instead it focuses on the one that feeds our souls, which is God. One of my, my if you want to call it a life verse, or whatever you want to call it, it's a verse that I've had Kind of implanted in my heart since I began in ministry. Found in John 4, 34. You don't have to turn there because we're going to be back in this passage. But John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, this is one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. This is the woman at the well story. And so he, the disciples just came back from the town getting food. They're like, Jesus, why don't you eat? And then he says this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, what sustains him, what kept him going, was doing what God had called him to do. And that's kind of been something that I've tried to do in my life, that what gets me going, what keeps me getting up and doing student ministry, which is hard. I don't know if you guys know this. This is a hard job. It's not an easy job. It's hard to teach you guys God's truth. It's hard to love you guys sometimes because y'all are just butthead sometimes, right? Mostly Jackson. I'm just kidding. He looks all sad. But no, but I mean, but it, it's a hard job. And... and there's pressure on me, maybe not from you, but from kind of from God, because the Bible says that I'm I'm in charge of your souls, and I will have to take an account when I get to heaven for how I led you guys as, as your pastor. That's kind of a big deal. James three one kind of says the same thing. So it's, this is not an easy job that you just do. Just oh, I mean, just I'm gonna do ministry. It sounds pretty easy. I'm just gonna do it. It's not. And so this is kind of what I try to get me going and kept me going in my life is to. You know, what, what sustains me is to do what God has called me to do. But fasting is also not something that we advertise that we're doing. It's not an Instagram post. 
You'll take a picture of a big bowl of cereal and say, whoop, I'm not eating this today, and post it on Instagram. That's not what you're doing. It's fasting. It's a private experience between you and God. And over in the book of Matthew 6, 16 through 18, it says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you guys to catch those first four words. We read over those words. We want to pay attention to them. So it says, when you fast. Jesus isn't saying here, if you fast. Jesus says, when you fast. So what does that mean? By saying when and not if. You should do it, right? It's an imperative. It's an implied command of Jesus that, hey, you're going to fast. And so when you do fast, these are the things you do. These words are Jesus' words. They're not mine. He tells us to look normal and, and not call attention to ourselves when we fast. It says there, you know, anoint your head and wash your face. So back then, they would anoint their heads with, like, with olive oil uh, as a way to kind of stay clean. It is a hygiene thing that they would do back in the day. And so a lot of times when they would fast, they would not, um, and, their, and their skin would dry out. And so they would use that also to keep their skin from drying out. So they would, put, they, they would fast, they wouldn't put that on. And so you could tell kind of that people were fasting. And he's like, no, I want you to make sure nobody can tell that you're, you know, like for us, that would still be take a shower, put on the other, brush your teeth, don't let anybody know that anything different is about you. That's kind of what this is saying in our modern context. I'm, you know, I remember being in college. I was at DBU, and uh, I was we were in a class. I think it was a youth ministry class that this one was in. And this guy was like, you know what? He told the class, I don't know why, but he's like, I'm going to fast like Jesus. I'm going to fast for 40 days. And we're like, you're a moron. And so I remember, I was, I don't remember what it was. And so we went from, I guess about two weeks from the end of the semester. I think it was at Christmas. And so we had to drive across a big bridge to go over like the Grand Prairie. And we went and ate. Uh, lunch with all of our class and the dude was just he did not look like he was holding it together and he ended up breaking his fast that day with everybody there and he was you could tell that, that, that he was fasting and again he also just made sure everybody knew about it it's not what we're called to do so how long should we fast because we talked about Jesus said when you fast which means we should be fasting so how long should we fast well, that's, that's a personal decision between you and God a day is super common, and it's still pretty challenging. Some people fast for a meal that's important to them. Others give up something like coffee or sweets for a season with a special purpose. You know, what, when, and how you choose to fast, that's between you and God. But the Bible regularly points this important act of worship. And of course, Anna, she modeled it for us there in Luke chapter 2. The second thing that she did was, was, was prayer. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. This is just right before the passage you read about fasting. And when you, <coughs> excuse me, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues or at the street corners. They may be seen by others. <coughs> Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, this, this verse here, with that, with that, in reference to the pagans would call out to their God, whichever God they were praying to, and they would either say the name of the God over and over, or different iterations of the name of that God, or they would chant things, hoping, or they would say things of like, hey, remember when I did this for you? Remember when I offered this to you? And they would do these things and say these things and hope that this God they're praying to would pay them attention. That's something we need to do as Christians, get God's attention. No, he's, he's, he's there. He's constantly listening to us. We don't have to sit there and just say, God, God, Elohim, Jehovah. You don't have to say these things in order to get God to pay attention to you because he's paying attention to you at all times. And again, these words that we just read, these are the words of Jesus. Again, not mine. And what, are the, what were the first two words in there on the, that we just read? And when? Again, Jesus isn't telling you if you pray. He's telling you when you pray. You know, we have no problem praying. We're like, yeah, Jesus commands it. We have, to, we have to pray. He says when you pray. But just a few verses down that we just read about a while ago, we just gloss right over fasting. Yet he said the exact same thing, when you fast. It's assumed that we pray. It's assumed that we fast. But I want to make sure that we also understand this verse here. It's saying that prayer should be done in secret. And so you're like, man, that gets me off the hook. I don't have to pray in my Sunday school class. I don't got to pray in front of people. No, that is not what Jesus is saying here. Public prayer, as in, as in corporate prayer here at church, you know, whenever we have, before we pray, like Sunday mornings in, in front of the whole church, we pray in your Sunday school classrooms or in your small groups, pray in this room. What, that we're, we're called to do that. So, but whether what he's saying, you're praying in private, is for the purpose of public recognition. We don't we don't get up on stage on Sunday mornings and pray before the service so we get recognized by the church people. We do it to get our hearts aligned with God and to get ready to worship God. Right? Because prayer, it's just us talking and listening to the Creator of the universe. We have the most powerful force in all creation, ready to listen and help us. And often we're too busy to engage with him. It's just crazy. In Judaism, God was a father who delighted in meeting the needs of his people. Judaism also recognized that God knew all of a person's thoughts. And then Jesus predicates effective prayer on a relationship built on intimacy, not a business partnership model. We have we already have an intimate relationship with the Father. We're not we don't have a business dealing relationship with God, like, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, we'll be friends, right? No, it's built on, on trust and love for each other. This was closer to one followed by ancient paganism, is kind of how, how he addressed here at the last part of the passage. Far too often, we don't even give God a nod in his direction. We don't even pray. So if worship is the act of showing adoration to God, prayer should be critical to us. If I want to feel love from someone, like if my wife and I, if we, if I want to, you know, know that we're close in a relationship, 
But she doesn't ever talk to me. Are we going to have that connection? No, right? Like, if I ever talk to you guys, when you come in and nobody, nobody talks to you, are you going to feel like you have a connection to the student ministry? No. You need to have that communication. Because, you know, our, our, our lack of prayer or our failure to prioritize it in our lives is revealing the lack of true adoration for God in our lives. In this Christmas season, we focus on Jesus. That makes sense. It's Jesus, right? We read the Christmas story in Luke 2. We sing carols about the baby that came to save the world. One of the carols that we sing a lot is, Oh, come, let us adore him. Remember, way back at the beginning of this lesson, we said what? Adore equals worship. So, oh, come, let us worship him. I'm going to rewind back to Anna's story. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna spent her entire life at the temple, fasting and praying to God. Then after all these years, she met this baby boy named Jesus. She encountered the human form of what her heart had been longing for her entire life. The God that she had adored sent a baby to save us. I do not know what Anna had prayed and what she fasted about, but I want to think that some of her prayers were answered in this moment when she met this baby. Look at that last verse again. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So Anna encountered the object of her affection and she could not shut up about it. She had to tell people. She loved and needed to tell the world about Jesus. But why is it that the longer that you and I have loved Jesus, the less we tell people about him? Just a question for you to think about. The longer we've loved Jesus, the less people we tell about Jesus. That's, that's not what it should be like. So I challenge you <coughs> to find new ways to prioritize worshiping Jesus. Maybe it's simple just talking to him in prayer. Maybe you can try fasting and give up food for two meals or a day or whatever it may be, just to work on your relationship with God. Regardless of what you do to worship Jesus, I know that when you encounter him, you will be filled with a compulsion to tell other people. You will tell people about what God is doing in your life if you truly had that encounter with him. The love of Jesus makes our heart want to share that experience with others. And that's what happened to Anna. Her private worship led her to tell everybody that she encountered about the Jesus that she adored and finally got to meet. Let's pray. Pray see you guys come up and get ready. God, thank you for this, this woman Anna and her um, life as she was an example for us of what it means to, to worship you, to worship you in fasting, to worship you through prayer. God, we just thank you for that. May we and we begin just to, to live like her. And, and once, we, once we encounter you, God, may we be like her and tell people 
about who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, we just um, we thank you for what you've done, for what you've shown us and taught us about your word tonight and about, about Jesus and the importance of prayer. Um, fast, God, may we just sing these songs out of response uh, to what you've shown us tonight in, in your word. In your name I pray. Amen.